Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Conversations with experts throughout sports, typically basketball. Today's guest, someone who is continuing to grow his own path in the coaching and training world. You may know him from the slogan, Be Better, Be Different, on social media. Phil Beckner. Phil, thanks for joining. Dan, thanks for having me. Been your fan for a while. Um, Obviously, done my research on you. Ready to throw this at you. I knew uh, we were similar in age, but you're about four years older than me. So I remember watching you in college, um, watching you when you played pros, like, man, if I could shoot it as good as that guy, I might have a chance someday. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. One of your uh, probably most known clients is someone I had a chance to work with for only a short bit, about a month or so, uh, right after he was drafted by the Portland Trailblazers, coached him in summer league. He may be the only guy that I will admit to losing in the shooting competition, even though i I beat him plenty of times, and that would be Damian Lillard. You had a chance to watch him, work with him from college all the way till the current present time as you're helping him get ready for uh, training camp. I believe you said it's year 10 for him. It's hard to believe it's gone by so fast. When you look back at Damian's career, is there any turning point that stands out to you that makes you makes you sit back and say, that's why he made it? Yeah, I think, uh, and it's not just one turning point or, or one point where uh, the, the switch flips. I, I think there were just, you know, milestones along the way. Uh, one big one in college was uh, actually before he broke his foot. He talks about breaking his foot a lot and having to sit out that year and, you know, grow maturity wise, grow with his body. But um, when he was named MVP, I, I haven't told this story in a long time, Dan. Uh, he, he was named MVP as a, a, a sophomore at Weber State. And we th- then we started to know he might have a chance to get drafted. I always told him, if you're lucky, you'll be a second rounder. He obviously, you know, proved me w- way wrong uh, going number six. But um, there was a weekend. We were working out on the weekends at Weber State. He wanted to put some extra work in. And uh, he was going to do it on Saturday. And then Sunday, we had to find a different gym. Our arena was closed at Weber State. They actually had a Jehovah's Witness conference in the arena. The other gyms on campus were closed. We couldn't get in anywhere. So I found a rec center, um, the Ogden Athletic Club, actually, at the time. And you had to pay $10 to get in, $10 to work out. So I told him, I said, Dame, if you're going to if you're going to work out on Sunday, you got to pay 10 bucks. I'll pay my own way. You got to pay your own way. And you've probably heard and you know, him. like he's the biggest tightwad in the world. Like he still is to this day. And uh, he just told me, he goes, Phil, I'm not paying 10 bucks to work out. I'm not paying 10. Like I'm not doing that. I'm not I said. All right. So ten dollars 
isn't worth the price of your dream. And I'm like, you got to catch the guys at Kentucky, at Duke, Carolina, and you're not willing to pay $10 to outwork them. But you'll spend 10 bucks at Burger King or Wendy's or what. And he was just kind of quiet on the phone. And he's like, I'll work out. And so we went to the gym and I absolutely killed him. I tried to get him to quit, to be honest. I worked him out for an hour and 45 minutes, which is just unheard of. Like we never go that long and uh, just trying to kill him. He would not back down. He wouldn't quit. And I just kept saying like, hey, you had to spend $10. We got to get the most out of this workout. Like we got to use the court as long as we can. And he was so tired after the workout. He just laid on the floor. He laid on his back and I threw the cones at him. I'm like, here, just like kind of tossed him on him. And then after that, he just really just had this unparalleled work ethic where he he's like, if I could do an hour and 45 minute workout where this dude's killing me, crushing me, like, and I think that's the work ethic that that he's carried, you know, his whole career, whether it's a rookie in the NBA, an all-star in the NBA, he just he really has an unparalleled, unmatched work ethic to, you know, most of the guys in the NBA. I love that story. That is awesome. I wish uh, I wish more kids these days would understand that. And I don't want to be one of those former players that bash current players, um, you know. But I think there's at times because of all the great facilities and because of all the great opportunities uh, in the social media aspect, many times it's easy uh, to to choose the path of least resistance or the flashier path as opposed to the hard work path and I'm going to earn it path, which is what he has done. You have a tremendous saying, and I mentioned it in the intro, be better, be different. I love that. Where did that come from? I was sitting at a clinic um, my second year of coaching college. I, uh, I begged my way into a secret clinic Larry Shiat used to have at the University of Florida. Back then it was secret. Now everyone's heard about it. I was a young coach. I begged my way in it. And it's like the second year and we were struggling at Weber State to get over the hump, to try to, you know, to stop finishing third or second place. And how do we make it to the NCAA tournament? And we actually, Dame kind of has a little bit to do with this. We had this, you know, really young, talented guard. We're trying to figure out ways to separate him. And a former coach came out to speak at the clinic. He had got fired from the Division I level. And um, the whole year he spent off, he just went and watched teams practice. NBA, college, different sports. And he kind of just started talking and giving his presentation. He just said, hey, I just noticed the people who win, they're either just better or they're different. And he just kept kind of talking. But when he said that, this light bulb just kind of went off in my head. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. like they're either better or they're different. So our approach in developing players, developing just humans, myself, is like we all have certain things that are strengths that we need to develop that God's given us, uh, you know, a talent at or an ability at. That's what we're better at. You know, a guy like Giannis, you know, he gets out of bed. He's he's just a freak. He's better than some people. Well, we want to use our strengths the best we can. We want to grow them the best we can to be better. And if you're not better, then obviously to catch somebody, you got to be different. And we define different by, you know, your character, which is your behaviors and your responses, your, um, your you know, your mindset, different things that that go into separating yourself as a person or as an athlete. And then, you know, what, what we found out, and obviously Dame's the guy, a guy like Mikkel Bridges in Phoenix, who I work with, I always say, when you guys are better and you're different, then you have a chance to be elite. Then you have a chance to be the best of the best, because They've taken their God-given strengths and talents and maximized them so they're better. They've used what you know God's given them to be better at.
but then they're also different on and off the court or in and out of life. And whenever you're better and different, you have a chance to be elite. Tremendous. I really love that explanation. Being better, being different. It's something I'm going to try to use when I coach both of my son's groups um, in pinpointing different things. But when you look at a player for the first time when you're about to work out with him, what are the big important things that you look for, whether it's a fundamental base or maybe it's personality trait where you can kind of maximize uh, your ability to help that player reach their potential? That, that's a tremendous question. That's something I don't get asked very often. Everyone wants to know how you start your workout. So the first drill you do, um, to be honest, Dan, the first thing I start with with every guy is character. It's the individual. We, we have a player development pyramid that, that we kind of set up that I show all of my clients, that I show all the teams I consult with. And the bottom of that pyramid is character. Because we believe just like you have to have a foundation skill wise, you have to have a foundation in life to build upon. And, you know, it's even biblical. A a house built on sand will not stand. If these guys have character deficiencies or mindset deficiencies or attitude deficiencies, it's going to be really, really hard for them to progress. Um, We do a lot of pre-draft training. And here's where we start with those guys. We said you could either be built to make it or you could be built to last. So the first thing we look at is like, how could we build a a foundation, one, personally, character-wise, and then two, skill set-wise, that's going to help you be built to last? Because it's getting easier and easier to make it nowadays. Like you talked about the Instagram stuff, the facilities, like the number of guys who get to wear an NBA jersey has increased so much compared to the last five years. But just a lot of them aren't built to last. They're, They're not built to stay in the NBA. They're only built to just make it. Built to last. That's something that I think is so many times overlooked by players that are on the fringe. They just want to get there. They don't want to, uh, they don't, maybe they don't realize just the detail of the work that it takes to make it for more than a year or two years or go from being that fringe guy to be maybe being in that seventh or eighth man on a roster because being a seventh or eighth man on a roster is is so unbelievably difficult players are are so much better than the average fan would expect or imagine give us an example maybe of a of a player that you worked with that the average fan would be like oh man he's not very good this college all league player is just as good at but you with your trained eye and being around the game know that's a completely complete lie because you know, if you're scratching a starting lineup in the NBA, you are elite. Yeah, yeah. And this guy, I'm going to tell you about, he's, he's started in NBA games. He has not started in NBA games. He's been in the rotation, and he's been at, been at the end of the bench. Um, he's the best example. Uh, he's family to me now, but Tim Frazier played for the Portland Trailblazers, went undrafted from Penn State. His story is amazing. I think he's been cut right now seven different times in the NBA and he's made teams eight times like after that like he has always got a job and even him like I'll have some of our pre-draft guys work out with him Tim Frazier's barely six foot one but what the average fan doesn't see or the average coach or the average player um, is like his speed and quickness like 
Dame will talk about Dame and Tim. They're, you know, they're best friends. They'll, they'll work out sometimes. And like when Damian Lillard is saying he's fast, that probably means you're pretty fast because Dame's used to seeing Russell Westbrook, Kyrie Irving, you know, these type of guys like Tim Frazier is fast. Um, Tim's ability to like get in the paint or push, you know, push the pace. They had him do that a lot in New Orleans. Uh, Coach Gentry would always be like push the pace, push the pace. But to be able to push the pace and then get your best player shots or deliver the ball on time and on target, those are skills people don't see. And so many of these young guys are rookies who are trying to make the NBA or stay in the NBA. They, they literally can't do what he does on a consistent basis. And his story, go, going back to the character, going back to the mindset, he's willing to be a great teammate. He's willing to be a backup one night, maybe start if someone's out, and then not play for five or six games and still be ready to do his job the, the, the next time um, his opportunity arises. But when you look at those little things that he could do, and, um, you know, he's only, like I said, six foot one, not the most physically overpowering guy out there. But when he's in the gym with other NBA players and he's, you know, playing with speed, playing with force, you know, getting other guys shots and be able to create in a simplistic way in the pick and roll or in transition, the, the normal eye doesn't see that. Yeah, I can. I I watched him a little bit when he was with the Blazers and I was always impressed with with what you mentioned is speed. That's the first thing that jumps out at you. Um, but it is those little things of understanding what your role might be that particular night that can carve out a longer career. You know, I, I think I did a nice job of that. There are times I do look back and wish maybe I was a better teammate when I had back-to-back DNP CDs when I thought I should have been playing. Yeah. But when you're in the moment, it's really hard to think that way. It's difficult. And it sounds like you as a coach and a trainer really do a nice job of, of emphasizing the total package to, to the players that you work with. Now, you spent time as a college coach. You spent time as a trainer. You're now a consultant with the Sixers. Now that you're in that kind of both worlds, how do you – define trainer versus coach uh, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions on on teaching the game of basketballs within both quote labels yeah um, that's my most controversial topic or question um, you know I, I get called a trainer a lot now because it's turned into this kind of profession or business you know like when you and I were growing up we might have had a trainer someone to work us out but they weren't on every street corner. Like I could damn near go to the, I'm in Portland now. I could go to the Seven Eleven down the street and probably find a basketball trainer if I had to. So I, I really don't personally, I just really don't like how the profession of it, you know, is handled. I, I, I don't like how um, the media part of it is handled. I think too many trainers are trying to take too much credit for guys. I think um, the words I like to use is coach and leader. Like I'm, you know, Tim Frazier allows me to lead him on and off the court. Damian Lillard allows me to coach him on and off the court. Like we got to embrace being a coach and being a leader. You know, a coach's role is, and from a simplistic coach clinic talk type, type thing, you're trying to take a player or a person to somewhere they couldn't get to on their own. That's what you're doing. And, and I don't, you could be a coach in the business world. You could be a coach of coaches. You're trying to take a player or person to somewhere they couldn't get to on their own. You're, you're just trying to help them. I think um, trainers and coaches 
one of the best approaches that that we could have. And I think this is what's really helped me become more successful with my guys. Instead of looking at myself, you know, like I'm in charge all the time, or I got to show them how tough I am all the time, or they got to do it my way. And whether this is college or high school kids, I try to look at it more as like, I'm the leader, but I'm also their caddy. Because a caddy in golf, like you give them suggestions, you tell them what you really want them to do, what they think, but they're the ones that still have to swing the club. They're the ones that still have to choose. Well, Phil, you said, you you know, hit it with the seven iron, but man, I'm going to use the six iron. And no matter who's right or wrong, if you're a real coach, if you're a real leader or taking the caddy's approach, as soon as that shot hit, you know, whether it went right, left, straight down the fairway, you guys still have to walk together to the next shot or walk together to the next hole. And I think that's what I screwed up a lot in, as a college coach, man, I, I just wasn't coaching these guys enough. I wasn't leading those guys enough. And, you know, the second part of your question is like, well, what makes a trainer a trainer when you're training? Like that's just more skill set, skill based. Like, Dan, you played, I can make you shoot a hundred pull-ups with your right hand. Well, we are just training a refined skill or a refined movement. Like a lot of people could train, like one thing I'm, this is a little odd for a basketball sports podcast, but one thing I'm infatuated by is dog trainers. Like I study them. I look at, like, I love dog whisper, dog train. They're training an animal, train them to sit. We're not dealing with dogs. We're dealing with human beings. So we got to coach them. We got to lead them. We're trying to take them to a place they couldn't get on their own, whether that's mentally, physically, spiritually. And I think that's where the training slash coaching profession could combine more, could align more, and we could get more results for our players. Because ultimately, that, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to accelerate progress of the teams or the individuals we're working with. And that comes down to a lot more than just training a refined skill or a refined movement. A great differentiating uh, explanations there. Um, you know, obviously, you had somebody who must have inspired you to want to get into coaching or leading. I, I like how you call it coaching and leading. Who would that be for you? Or did you always know you wanted to get into being a basketball coach? Yeah, I, I always first I always give the, the the same answer, like which you've probably given or every, you know, every former athlete or coaches gives like, we're not smart enough to do anything else. <laughs> like, I couldn't. I mean, I, I don't know if I could ever work a, a real job like those dudes are the real heroes. I'm, I'm not smart enough to do that. I, I grew up uh, with a really tough background, like really tough life growing up. And the thing that saved me the most, other than, you know, my mom being a single mom and working extremely hard, was I I just had some good coaches and mentors who saw something in me. For some reason, they saw something in me and they just helped me along the way. So I I always wanted to kind of return that gift. I think it feels, you know, super rewarding. I think it's the ultimate measure of success when someone reaches back out to you and they said like, Hey, you helped me get to somewhere I couldn't get to. You helped change my life. Or, you know, even when you see a knucklehead a little bit, start to figure some stuff out. I had some people like that. Um, two of them who've been super impactful to me. One, one in my younger career, Russ Pennell, who actually coached at Arizona state, uh, was a division one assistant for 30 years. Like he's one of my coaching mentors. So I, I wanted to be him growing up. I wanted to be a college assistant like him and develop players like him. But then the last uh, three or four years of my life, a guy named Rod Olson, uh, he's a coach of coaches. He was a football guy. He's wrote some amazing books. 
Um, I pretty much just begged him and made him mentor me. I wouldn't let him off the hook until he agreed to mentor me. And um, the, the strides I've made personally and professionally the last four years would not have happened uh, without his influence. And, and I think that's so important. Going back to the trainers and coaches, if we're not willing to grow and we don't have people pouring into us, we're not going to be able to help our players grow and we're not going to be able to pour into them. And the big phrase Rod's helped me with is you, you can't give away what you don't possess. So if we, if I want Dame to possess a more mature winning mindset, which he's phenomenal at that, like I got to possess those first and I got to model those first. If, if I want some of these young rookies or pre-draft guys to have a hunger to be successful and a passion to outwork others, if I'm their coach or trainer and I don't show up with those, it's going to be really, really hard to, um, to get them to do it. So Without those mentors, I, I wouldn't be where I am. And I really encourage the coaches I get to coach now and lead that come out to Phoenix for our workshops and the players I'm with is like, man, you got to allow other people to pour into you. You have to. You mentioned the coaches workshops that you run down in Phoenix. Uh, for anybody out there listening, if, if they want to get involved with those, uh, where do they go to find out more? Uh, my, my Twitter is a great resource at Phil Beckner. Um, I don't have Instagram for, you know, some of the social media reasons we've talked about. Um, we're actually going to have a website here pretty soon for some of our coaching products. You know, we, we film some of the workouts. We are, I'm sorry, workshops. Um, coaches could purchase them online. And uh, part of that goes back to the, the be better, be different stuff, Dan. And, and that's one thing I get asked to do podcasts all the time, like a million. There's probably a waiting list of seven or eight. And um, I admire you and your story and your career. Um, you know, like people probably don't know how many times you were traded. What was it? Seven, seven or eight? Uh, eight, maybe more. I mean, who knows? I probably got traded without myself knowing it before. <laughs> but, but like guys like you and your story um, that like those inspire me. Those move me. Those are part of like the be better, be different message, because whether you're coaching your, your boys or you're training a girl on a weekend somewhere or you're doing a college broadcasting game, we always have a chance to be the example instead of being the excuse, like really be the example. And so in coaching, I don't have it all figured out. Some of the coaches I get to do clinics with, they don't have it all figured out. But we're, we're trying really, really hard to be the example of professionalism, the example of impact, the impact, the, the, the example of serving others and really getting our play. Because I failed at a lot of this crap when I was a college coach and I just wasn't good enough and could have got way, way, way more results, you know, in the long term. So you had a ton of experience at the college level. You've had a bunch of experience now working with NBA players. You're consulting uh, for the Sixers. One of your 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 most um, kind of uh, the the clients you work closest with, Damian Lillard, was uh, Olympic gold medalist this past off season. When you get a chance to just really sit back and, and choose which level of basketball you want to watch, do you enjoy college or the NBA game, or does it matter? Yeah, um, I, I love the NBA game now. It uh, I use I worked for the Thunder for a year. I was in a who's that? Mark Gagnall. He's the head coach now of the Oklahoma City Thunder. We were both um, on the G League staff. Mark was the head coach, and I was his assistant. And I just left college basketball, and I would still watch college games like every night, even though we were in the G League. And he's like, "Coach, how do you watch this? Man, these players aren't as good as ours or in the NBA." And 
now being around these guys so much more, it goes back to what you brought up, just the, the appreciation for their talent, their work ethic, how good they are. Like, I'm just amazed watching it. I, I, I'm, I'm blessed to be in some of the rooms and even going back to like, I've got to do this stuff with the USA junior national team, you know, some of the top high school kids in the country, just being around that level of ability and talent and character, you're, you're, you're blessed to get to do it. And I think what you develop is a greater appreciation for it. So like when I go to an NBA game now or watch NBA games, like, there, there's nothing better than that because there's just such an appreciation for how good these dudes are and how much work they put in. Phil, I appreciate the time. It was great to uh, to connect. I, I've been a, a fan of yours from a distance. Obviously, I know uh, you spent some time at Boise State with Leon Rice, who's one of my favorite coaches of all time. Uh, and then with my short time working with Damian Lillard, um, I, I have realized and known that anybody that poured into him must be a great person and you fit that category perfectly. So I appreciate you joining and, and I will take you up on the off the record uh, invite for a meal at some point. So appreciate you joining. I love it. Keep doing what you do and keep impacting others, my man. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.